Stuart Edmondson as the CEO of the Bloodhound Land Speed Record Rocket Car. I hear you're looking for a new driver for the vehicle. Oh, yes, that's correct. Uh, Wing Commander Andy Green is no longer with the project. So, presumably, you're looking for a driver with experience of driving a violently fast, somewhat unpredictable car. Oh, yes, that's right. But they also need to bring several million pounds to the project to pay for it. Have you got any prospective candidates? Oh, no, not as yet. You don't have Pastor Maldonado's number, do you? Welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. She's Sarah Leach. Hello, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. And he's Zog with no last name. Hello. How are you doing, people? Enjoy the weekend? Yes, thank you. Yeah, there was stuff going on at the weekend. It was good. It was a very big weekend. Not just the Las Vegas Grand Prix, but also the second integrated test launch no. of SpaceX's Starship, which we will come to but first of all, Sarah, how good was the Las Vegas Grand Prix? I mean, it was all very exciting, like, wasn't it? They pumped a lot of, I guess, budget into this one, but I think the US really got behind it. Yeah, it just looked very exciting for everyone involved. It was a night race, which surprised me. I thought it would have been a race that would have happened during the day, but I guess in the theme of, you know, Las Vegas being... The home of nightlife. <laughs> yeah, I really suppose is. it was fishing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all very exciting. Yeah, it was slightly awkward. I didn't watch the race live. One of the first races I haven't watched live this year because I'm not getting up at six o'clock on a Sunday morning, having been out until three o'clock on a, a Saturday night. But Zog, I'm guessing that probably suited your timekeeping. Were you up? Only if I'm staying up from the other end. Yeah. Which this weekend I wasn't. Now, getting up that early on Sunday morning doesn't suit me at all well. It's, <laughs> uh, it, it, it's, 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 no, it really doesn't. You know it doesn't. So I watched it on repeat in the afternoon. Stevie popped over and I did a huge Vegas brunch, a kind of a my version of what I would be having for brunch if I was in Vegas and I popped along to the Ameribrunch Cafe or the MTO Cafe, both downtown, by the way. Lovely spots. I thoroughly recommend them. And what did you have? I need to know what you ate. Now. Okay, well, we have steak, sausages, bacon, and fried potatoes with fried onions and peppers and cheese and bottomless mimosas. Well, does that mean that you pull the mimosa in and it comes well, out the bottom of the glass? or It, just keeps... it means you can just have as many as you want. <laughs> just, just carry on. Just don't worry. You want another mimosa? You're going to get another mimosa. That's the bottomless mimosas deal. Very good. And you know Las Vegas really well. You go over there at least twice a year. Certainly have done for the last few years. I go as often as I reasonably can at the moment to get in some poker action. And so this was a coming together of two of my favourite things. It was fantastic. Well, yeah, it was fantastic in the event. It could have gone differently. Yeah. I remember having a conversation actually sort of at the start of the weekend. We were talking about the incident with Carlos Sainz and the drain cover that popped out of the road and wrecked his car and all of that. And in the aftermath of that, we were, I was having a conversation. I remember saying, this isn't great. This is obviously, you know, not a good thing at all. But happens and this is a thing that if the weekend goes badly this will be remembered as the first significant bit of the unfolding disaster which it could conceivably have been 
come back to that in a minute. But if it's a successful Grand Prix, if it goes down well, if it's a successful event, that will be all but forgotten, give or take a class action lawsuit. And, you know, the event was a roaring success, I think. It's lived up to expectations, probably exceeded them. There was better racing than we might have expected. We didn't have the problems that were anticipated with temperatures, uh, with tyres because of track temperatures. Maybe we were a bit lucky there. So, yeah, apart from the fact that I loved seeing what was actually a very good race, it was great that it all came together successfully. They pulled it off and it was an event that overwhelmingly people will, I think, be anticipating next year rather than thinking, you know, oh, God, we've got to do this again or rather than it being cancelled because it cost so much money made so little and everybody hated it let's go back to carlos Sainz in the first 10 minutes of free practice one who managed to uh well actually it was the car in front of him i believe that managed to break the concrete frame around that drain cover leaving it standing proud for carlos Sainz to slam into and he got a penalty for that, a 10-place grid penalty because he had to change his power unit or elements of the power unit as a result. Now, I am truly dumbfounded that he was given a penalty for that, Sarah. It was no fault of his own. How could they possibly have got round that? There must be a way that they could say, oh, come on, this was our fault, especially as Formula One were actually the promoters of this gig for the first time, this race. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how to answer that question, only that perhaps they'll bring in a rule where if it wasn't the driver's fault, if it was out of his control. I mean, was he able to swerve the drain? Did he see it, the drain? It's fairly unfair, yeah, I agree. So I think Carlos Saints, he did articulate that he wasn't happy about it, that's for sure. Yeah, and that lasted all weekend, didn't it? He was miserable right until Sunday evening, wasn't he? I think we all feel, and I'm sure a lot of fans feel, that this was very unfair on Carlos Saints and on Ferrari. But you have a set of rules for your sport and your events, and... Sport is ultimately kind of a silly, pointless, stupid endeavour. You know, we might love these different sports, but it's a pretty silly, stupid endeavour. And you write all these rules that, you know, make whatever sport what it is and to make sure that people can compete reasonably fairly. And if you get tripped up by a rule, well, you know, that's how it goes. You know, it's tough on Carlos and on Ferrari that this is what that they fell foul of these rules and some just straight bad luck that science was the one that had the problem if he hadn't had the problem with that bit of street furniture somebody else would have done at some point over the weekend he was just unlucky in that respect and that's just the way it goes you've got to suck it up because in the end it doesn't matter it's just a silly game and you've got to take the rough with the smooth just sort of to get back to the point that you sort of were touching on a moment ago about you know couldn't they really have come up with some way of making this work of making it fairer on science. I think there was an issue here that you have to stick to the rules as they are written kind of strictly because if on this occasion there'd been a bit of a fudge and the organisers had sort of found a way to not penalise science and science had then won the race and then Mercedes and Red Bull protested the result on the grounds that there'd been a slightly dodgy Stewart's decision to not penalise science for that incident, you could be left with months of uncertainty about whether that result will stand because there's a legal challenge going on. And really, you want to know on the day, you know, in the moment, who won that race. And barring the most extraordinary circumstances, you don't want that to change. So I can forgive everybody for 
sticking to the letter of the law here, even if it does kind of stiff Carlos Sainz? I think the way around it could have been if if all the other teams were in agreement, because it could have been them in this situation. And if they'd had an agreement beforehand to say, actually, we all agree that this is unfair, we can suspend that rule for this occasion, because it could happen to us as well. I think that would have been more fair. I'm not quite sure why they didn't do that. There's no provision in the statutes, I think it's the right term, to allow that to happen. So the implications of creating a legal loophole to allow them out of it could, as you said, be more complicated in the future. But let's move on beyond first practice because the racing was great. <laughs> yeah. the sp- Other stuff happened apart from first practice. Oh, yeah. The spectacle. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. The sphere. And the cars yeah, streaking down the Las Vegas Strip past Caesars, the Mirage, the Wynn, the Encore, the Flamingo. That's the money shot. That's what they were after. That's what it's all about. You having been to Vegas recently, Mm. did that fulfil your Vegas needs? Do you think they actually did it well in that light then? For me, I absolutely loved seeing the cars, you know, racing past a bunch of places that were familiar to me for one reason or another, you know. Oh, okay, yeah. They're tearing down the strip. They go, oh, yeah, I played poker at Caesars Palace there and I wouldn't mind uh, having another go in the Aria poker room. And, oh, there's the CVS where I usually pop in to buy some snack if I'm on my way up the strip. So, yeah, there were plenty of familiar landmarks there i absolutely loved that setting for the race and it was good that we Mm. did get a proper race and not a succession of safety cars in between which everybody's just sort of skating and sliding and being a little bit too careful we had some proper racing we had an exciting start to the race we had a thrilling end to the race we had action in between you know it was so good that even max verstappen seemed to warm up to the idea by the end of the race yeah yeah well he did win Uh, yeah and yeah, yeah, that probably helps, doesn't it? Max Verstappen. I don't feel he should have said that because you don't want to sort of, what's the saying where you don't, you know, cut the hand that feeds you? I mean, the Formula One put in a huge budget to this race to try and make the sport more and more successful, particularly in America. And at the moment, they're doing a great job of that. And you can see how much the US are embracing what traditionally has always been, I guess, more of a British sport, I suppose. So they're trying to bring it more into the world, which also means America. I mean, they had Justin Bieber <laughs> flying the flag, wasn't he, at the end? So I think Max Verstappen did change his tune. Whether I think he was wholeheartedly, his attitude changed genuinely. But even if he didn't like it, you think out of a PR perspective, he may have just put on a happy face. <laughs> on the other hand, it's good. I want drivers to give us their honest opinion about things. That's true. You know, whether it's Lewis Hamilton expressing his opinions about kind of peripheral aspects of the sport that don't strictly have to do with the on-track racing but have to do with how the sport works or other aspects of the sport I want them to be able to speak honestly and tell us what they really think and not be too filtered and um, you know PR managed about it that said I think Max Verstappen's opinions were rather silly you know I think he was I think a certain amount of negativity is perfectly legit about the scale of well, about the balance of show and racing. Yeah, absolutely. This is more about the event and the show than the racing itself. I think the pitching, the positioning of the Las Vegas Grand Prix at this point in the season was really smart because once the championship is over and by two races to the end of the season, there's a very good chance that in most seasons, the 
decision will be made. It gives you another reason to stay with Formula One. Yeah, championship's over, but I'm going to watch it for the spectacle. Mm. And on the bonus side, that circuit, which I remember saying on the last episode, I didn't think it was going to produce great racing, actually did produce great racing. Who'd have thought that a low-grip track with a few corners, but those very, very, very long straights would produce a circuit quicker than Monza, a circuit more entertaining than Monza. Monza's great, but it doesn't often give you great racing. Whereas Las Vegas did. (laughs) I've got to tell you this. I love Las Vegas. Last time, but one, I think, that I was in Las Vegas. Last time I was there, I was with the alarm. We played a venue in Las Vegas. I didn't get to see much of Las Vegas. And that was in 2019. But the time before that was way back in, I think... 1992 where I'd recently got married to Becky and we went on our honeymoon on a bit of a tour of Nevada, Colorado and California and we wound up in Las Vegas on the same day that you two were playing in Las Vegas. Oh well. So I made a call and got on the guest list and we turned up and the support band were the Sugar Cubes, Björk Goodmansdottir from Iceland, who's always been a favourite of mine. Björk, yeah. And backstage, I'm hanging out, I hate to say this name dropping, but I'm hanging out with Einar, who is one of the two lead singers in Sugar Cubes, and Bono. Uh, I explained to Bono that Becky and I just got married. Bono vanishes off, comes back with a huge bottle of almost Formula One champagne (laughs) and blesses my marriage with a free bottle of champagne, which I thought was unbelievably cool. That's very generous of you. And then Einar said, oh, let me go and get Björk. I will get Björk because she wants to kiss you. (laughs) I said, what? 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 Because I was the first person to interview Björk and Einar on TV. It's on YouTube. Look, sugar cubes. And we interviewed the two of them sitting in a giant double-scale Chesterfield chair and it made them look like little imps or elves or something uh, yeah so Pierre comes out oh you made me look so very cute everybody loves me i want to kiss you she gave me a kiss <laughs> so yeah wonderful things happen in las vegas and i was disappointed that bono didn't turn up on the grid because i know he's a big formula one fan well and you two were the act that put on the first big show At in the sphere, the sphere yeah. which we saw from the outside Of course, it's a venue and it's also about the inside. And yeah, you two put on a show there, which I believe was spectacular. I'm not sure if it's still running. It's a residency. Yeah, yeah, it it has to be. (laughs) I'd be surprised if it would make financial sense for you two to do a one-off gig at somewhere like the Sphere. You've got to have some kind of run, however long the residency is. Yeah, Yeah, it is a residency. It was extended. They played, I think, two or three weeks and then they took two or three weeks off to allow F1 to happen. Then they are returning to the Sphere. And I'd love to go and see them again, mainly because mm. their lighting designer, their stage set designer, Willie Williams, who I know well has been creative for U2 since, what, 1981, having to work with that incredible technology of the Sphere is made for him. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Agree. Enough about the Sphere and me in Las Vegas. Let's talk about the racing. It was a hell of a race, Eric. Blimey, it was proper entertainment right to the line. Yeah, I think there was five different leaders throughout the race. So it was, I guess, anyone's game at one point. You'd have to give Charles Leclerc a lot of credit because he really did fight back for his second place spot. So I think he's fairly 
chuffed with himself probably right now <laughs> yeah I hope he wins in Abu Dhabi but I don't think he's going to yeah if Max can win despite having penalties and he still managed to win the race and Abu Dhabi is a similar kind of fast circuit I'm guessing Max is going to win the last race of the season in Abu Dhabi too it was gripping more gripping than the surface that they were racing on was and the cars look different and I've got to take issue Forgive me, Zog. Go on. But I'm going to agree with Bernie Ecclestone on something here. Continue. Yeah, three or four cars, or three or four teams at the race ran in special liveries. Ferrari had the white wing elements, which they brought back to honour their past. Yeah. Red Bull had a kind of a purplier thing than normal. Alpha Tauri had an absolute mess of a black and white thing. But my argument is not with any of those cars. It's with the Alfa Romeo, which ran in pure black and made it almost indistinguishable from the Mercedes. Now, Bernie Eccleston would never have allowed that. There were always very strict rules to prevent cars from having similar paint schemes in Formula One. I don't know how this got... Well, it's not the first time in the last few years that we've had two teams running pretty similar liveries. The Alfa looked very red early on. It was easy to confuse with some of the others. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you tend to get a lot of combinations of white, red and blue (laughs) across the board that can drive some of that similarity. But no, you're right. Okay, so that wasn't a great livery. That wasn't looking fantastic. But you're saying it wasn't a great looking race or... It was a great looking car, but it was easy to confuse with the Mercedes. And I think that's a a basic, isn't it? That's about as were the drain covers. Drain covers are a basic. That shouldn't have happened. They did fix it quickly. Well, yeah, this is the thing. They fix it quickly because anytime you run an event on a street circuit, you've got to deal with that issue of checking the track properly and securing all those bits of street hardware maybe they didn't check everything carefully enough first time around but the problem was fixed it was fixed and fixed well it did not recur in any way whatsoever highlights of the whole weekend for me personally i can't believe i'm gonna say this but the best bit was donny osmond singing the american national anthem now I was never a Donny Osmond fan. I was always more of a Jacksons fan than an Osmonds fan back in the 70s. But Donny Osmond is so central to Las Vegas. You know, he's done a residency there. The Osmonds have done a residency there. It was Mm. wonderful hearing him sing the US anthem in such a lovely, unaffected way. Thank heavens for that. That was my favourite bit. How about you, Sarah? What was it that gave you most satisfaction? I wouldn't necessarily say satisfaction, but there was a, quite an awkward moment where the announcer interviewed... I can guess where you're going here, but continue. He interviewed Sergio Perez. Yes. <laughs> this was the very loud, bombastic, uh, maybe WWE or something announcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not yeah, sure. yes, yeah, yeah. yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, and he's not the usual boxing announcer. It was Bruce Buffer, UFC, the Bruce Buffer guy. But yeah, I think that got quite a bit of public attention. It was kind of awkward. And he literally was standing only like half a metre in front of him and he was yelling at him down the microphone, like, Sergio Perez. (laughs) I think Sergio Perez didn't take it very well, but it was a little bit awkward. For anyone who hasn't seen that moment of the weekend, yeah, as he was announcing the drivers in let's get ready to rumble fashion, you know, maximum yeah. volume, yeah, yeah. drawing out all the vowels. <laughs> Checo didn't find it funny, I don't think. He's announcing Checo Perez 
And Perez is, yeah, as you say, right next to him. And he seems to be expecting to be interviewed. You know, he kind of approaches him as if after this massive build-up, there's going to be a question or some kind of... But no, it's just... That was it. There you are. Sergio Perez. Shouting in your face. (laughs) God, love America. So, yeah, he looked a bit bad, which was funny. Sarah, here's another one for you. More you than me and Zog, I think. One of the things that emerged over the weekend was that Valtteri Bottas... Wally Bum Bum <laughs> has done a kind of a sexy nude charity calendar with lots of pictures of him oh, naked no. showing his handsome backside. It's handsome, yeah, but not my thing, but a perfectly handsome backside. And if you want to buy this calendar, go to Bot Ass with two T's and two S's, B-O-T-T-A-S-S dot com. And the money goes to, I think, prostate cancer research which is really great silly and brilliant well done Bottas for doing that I agree absolutely yeah silly and brilliant yeah (laughs) good for Valtteri for doing good stuff in a fun way yeah yeah Yes, I suppose that's a play on his surname. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wally Bum Bum, yeah. as I call him. Yes, Bot Ass. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed Las Vegas much more than I thought I was going to. Zog, it's a given that you enjoyed it, isn't it? It is. And just to share a couple of quick thoughts, I think, you know, moment of the weekend, Leclerc grabbing second right at the last minute, that was fantastic. I think that might have been a highlight for me because I really wanted Leclerc to win. I was hoping he'd be able to win this one. Maybe if Ferrari had only stopped him once, they'd have been able to do it. Anyway, who knows? Credit to Lance Stroll for having a really good weekend. You know, he can be all over the place. He's very inconsistent, but he had one of his really good weekends. You know, finishing in fifth, starting, what, 19th? Yeah. Yeah, he did a super job, and I'm sure he's much happier with that. Tremendous shame that Lando crashed out as he did, and Piastri couldn't manage better than 10th. Not McLaren's best weekend, but ultimately, I loved the race, I loved the event, and I can't wait for next year. Yeah, actually, that Lando crash happened at a really good time in the first few laps of the race. It was truly spectacular as his car bottomed out and created sparks and went hurtling in a cloud of tyre smoke towards the barrier. If anything is going to make people watch Formula One, it's a spectacular crash where nobody's hurt. You know, for the ineducated, that's a big part of the appeal. And I think that would have kept people watching. Another quick thought... I thought Jensen's fashion choices this weekend, Jensen Button working on Sky TV, were tremendous. I thought he did a fabulous job of sort of channeling a little bit of Ocean's Eleven era men's style. So, yeah, (laughs) Verstappen's Elvis suit at the end of the race, I think, was the fashion moment of the weekend that will have caught most people's eye. But... Credit to Jensen Button for rocking a very solid look throughout the weekend. Yeah, I agree. I thought he looked good. Yeah, he did. Finally, that car journey which they all got into the Rolls Royce and went to the what's it called the Feathers Hotel what's it called Zog Bellagio 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 with the fantastic fountains which is the best free show in Vegas Uh I thought that was really brilliant because for the first time ever 
we could hear what the drivers were saying to each other because usually in the cool down room you can't really quite hear the grasp of the conversation if you really turn the tv up you can but then as soon as anything other than the drivers talking happens you get deafened so you've got to be careful yeah. with that but this felt very intimate it was a really yeah. casual environment it was almost as if the three drivers had forgotten that they were being observed and were having a very honest conversation i, I really like that but hey that's it for now we've got one more race to come next weekend in Abu Dhabi. Are we all going to be watching? Of course. Yes. Thank you both. Sarah, we say goodbye to you now. See you later. Bye. Bye, darling. Nice to talk to you. Bye-bye. And we'll welcome Alex for the second part of Gareth Jones on Speed coming up. Elon Musk, the second test launch of the Starship, is getting some mixed reactions. Some say it was a disaster. Others say it was a success. What's your view? Well, um, in my opinion, uh, it was a great success. Uh, the rocket flew for eight minutes this time, compared to uh, four minutes for the first test launch. But both Starship and the booster exploded before reaching orbit. So how is that a success? Well, the build quality and execution was still far better than that of the Tesla Cybertruck. Will you welcome, please, to part two of this episode of Gareth Jones on Speed, Alex Goy. Hi. How's your head? <laughs> I don't feel very well today. <laughs> tell us why. I, mean, I, I know why, but tell the listeners. I went for lunch and some drinks with friend of the show, Dr. Gitlin, and there was lots of wine, and then I came home, and then there was more wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I only escaped yeah. this because... I'd been out on Saturday night and I was supposed to be joining you on Sunday afternoon for big drinks. Yes. I'm kind of glad I didn't. I would have permanently damaged myself. Maybe. So, should we talk quietly, Alex? Very quietly, yeah. please. Okay. Today has been woefully unproductive. I need to do many other works okay. and haven't. Okay. Shall we talk <laughs> quietly about a nice little quiet electric mini that you've been exploring? You can indeed. So, yes, I've been driving stuff, as is my occasional want, yeah, playing with two very, well, lots of very different cars over the last few weeks. But uh, two ends of a British scale, British coach building scale, I guess. The first being the David Brown Automotive Mini E Mastered. So David Brown Automotive, as you know, they build the Speedback GT, which is a half million pound sort of Jag XK that looks like a DB5. A bit. A bit, a bit. The, the idea being that company founder David Brown, not that one, a different one. How coincidental that his name matches the man he used to own, Aston Martin. Oh, and both of their parents were in um, Earth Movers as well. And both their business was in Earth Movers. There's really weird parallels between the two David Browns. It's very odd. Anyway, he loved his classic cars, but he couldn't stand the fact that they kept breaking down and leaking everywhere, which I can sympathise with because that's a massive pain in the ass. So he built the Speedback GT to look like a classic, but wasn't. Uh, they're basing it on a Jaguar. Brave move. And, <laughs> and <laughs> But having said that, the DB7 was based on the Jaguar XJS chassis. Yes, a picture of reliability. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come along now. Um, the company's next project was the Mini Remastered. So the idea was that David Brown, he wanted a Mini from when he had one back in the day, but he didn't really want one that didn't have mod cons and wasn't plush and didn't do X, Y, Z. So they released the Mini Remasters, about 90 grand. 
for that you get a fresh body shell you get some sort of retro touches some david brown automotive rear lights and a badge and the paint is done kind of by this incredible company i can't remember which one it is but basically it's the best paint in the world the interior is properly upholstered you get car play you get air conditioning you get the whole nine it's an incredible thing but yes they are very very expensive and they did the aselli edition which was a quick jazzy one that had wheels so big that when you turned the wheel at speed they rubbed and i was like fine uh, okay right yeah. hundred and whatever thousand pounds ridiculous vehicle and now it's brought out the mini e-mastered as you can probably guess it's electric so it's a mini it's got the full david brown treatment which means you know properly restored fresh shell de-seamed they take all the seams off don't they yeah yeah, yeah. it's de-seamed so it's basically the mini you wanted to build in the 60s and 70s but either couldn't be bothered to or couldn't afford to and now you can buy one of those but with like proper master craftsmanship and it's got a little bit of power steering assistance a little bit not a lot who was it who <clears throat> produced bespoke minis in the 60s i think peter sellers and john lennon was it hooper or radford i think did they do special uh, versions i don't know tickford did some minis more recently, I think, but this was in the 60s. I could be wrong. I don't know. I've looked at the pictures on the David Brown website of the mm. interior of that mini. Yeah. The knurled knobs. Yeah. Wow. You wonder where your money's going. So this one is about 120 grand-ish before you start putting toys in it. It's got a Zonic 70 motor, which has 98 horsepower, way more than an A-series, £129 foot. It weighs 620 kilos, which is nothing. Not too bad, yeah. Not too bad. It's got an 18.8 kilowatt hour battery. No fast charging, nothing jazzy like that. David Brown Automotive is aware that its customers aren't going to use this as their only car. It's a 6th, 7th, whatever car that's a bit special to get around town. It's, as my friend Hazel Southwell, amazing motorsports journalist, constantly says about it, it's a designer handbag. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it means, much like any designer handbag, the interior, as you said, is stunning. Like, the leather is perfect. Every touch point, there's no plasticky, nasty tackiness. It's all metal. It's all been put together beautifully. Everything clicks solidly. Okay, the door slams like an old mini, but the windows are electric here. And it's a bargain at, what, £98,000? A bit more. It's about 120 for the E-Master. Flipping it. I mean, I think the, the, the designer handbag comparison like, is a rather good one mm. because both in terms of kind of, I guess, you know, a certain amount of chic and aesthetic to it, but also just it's something that nobody needs. No. You know, it's a class of thing, a car that is basically a utilitarian thing, a device that a lot of us need, certainly have a lot of use for, mm. but you can have them in, in, you know, which is kind of what a handbag is in a very different world, but you can do this with various degrees of finesse and yeah. design sensibility and practicality. I mean, you can carry your things in a Tesco bag. It is gorgeous. I would love, I think it's a fantastic little urban vehicle. But as you say, it's not even a second car for people. No. It's going to be another vehicle for aficionados who've already got a couple of vehicles to take care of their needs and maybe one or two more other important wants. But this thing, it looks fantastic. And yeah, I'd jump at it. You've driven it, Alex, yeah? Yes, I have. And it drives really, really well. So that little motor, plenty peppy enough. It's got way more power than an A-Series Mini. And you know, even the David Brown remastered cars aren't as powerful as that. That had the 1275 engine, didn't it? Yeah. Mm, well, it was an engine turned into that. Uh -huh. <laughs> or built specifically for it, I think is the uh, uh -huh. the kindest way to put it. So it's got way more power. 
and it's properly peppy off the line. And because it weighs nothing, you just mm. fly. It's a single gear. It's go, you just whirr up to the speed limit. Because it's so tiny, you can get in and out of these little gaps. The power assistance, you know, I was worried to start with that having power assistance on board would mean that the steering would just be loose and it would be a, a bit horrible. But it's just a little bit of power assistance. I think, once again, David Brown Automotive knows its audience. Perhaps upper body strength workouts not their thing so non-power assisted steering perhaps not but it works really nicely the car turns in really keenly it goes it stops something that's worth noting is they say they can get about 100 110 miles of range out of it from a, an 18 kilowatt hour battery which efficiency wise is really 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 good but i guess if it weighs nothing and you regen loads of it yeah compound savings yeah yeah, yeah it all fires back it's mega the really cool thing about it is because do bear in mind that I am of the generation that learnt to drive after the original Mini had gone out of production. The BMW Mini had sort of just arrived when I learnt to drive. And I know my parents spoke very fondly of Minis, but that size of car sort of wasn't de rigueur when I was a kid. It was Metros, which were a league bigger, yeah, or yeah, Corsets, which were just yeah. notably bigger. Yeah. So when you turn round to have a look out the rear window, you can see the whole car and all of the road behind you because there's so much glass because safety wasn't a concern. And because it's technically a resto mod, they don't need to put crash stuff in it. <laughs> oh, yeah, the sense you have for exactly where the edges of your mm. vehicle are in something like that, or in my old MG Midget, for example, you know, the, the sense you have of exactly where the edges of the car are, are so much better than with so many other vehicles. Mm. You're able to navigate tricky urban spaces much more easily much more confidently you can just fire yourself into little gaps it's great yeah. well and on, on a related note also i mean you're kind of performance wise a tiny little car like that i mean you know the old not e-mastered mini mm. would feel super nippy even if it wasn't quite as quick as it felt just because of the size and you're lower down yeah so yeah <laughs> I think that thing must be an absolute blast. It is. It's, it's really, really good. I mean, would I spend 120 grand on it? Probably not, but I'm not their target market. There are other companies that can do that mini swap out. So Electrogenic yeah. now has a box. I think you send them 15 grand or whatever, and you can just give it to your local mechanic and go, can you do me a quick engine swap, please? And it, <laughs> then it is done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's possible to do it for less. Yep. But Swindon have an electric mini as well, don't they? Swindon Electric, is that what they're called? Had an electric mini. I don't think that project's gone ahead. Or the, really? the, okay. the mini itself isn't... Because I, I drove it years ago. Uh-huh. But I don't think that's gone ahead. The Swind... How many David Brown e-re-engineered, whatever it's called, minis are they projecting they're going to sell? Dozens? Hundreds? Um, they declined to share that, but I think that's because I didn't bother asking. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the thing about David Brown Automotive is they're building you know, handfuls of these things every year because they don't need to sell loads and loads and loads of them. The interesting thing about the e-master, though, is that it was designed and built because of customer demand. Mm. So customers were saying, really? I really like my remastered, or I really want a remastered. Are you going to do an electric one? Yeah. Mm. And so they were like, well, we should probably look into this, because if our customers want it, then why not? Let's do the thing. Incidentally, the first mini e-mastered customer is one Simon Cowell off of The Music. Oh, well, he can afford it, can't he? <laughs> yeah. He was one of the people that asked. There are lots of mistellings of the story going around on the internet, but he isn't the one who said, you must do this. It wasn't his idea. But yeah, though he was one of the customers who said, when you do it, I'll have one. And he was customer number one. 
And the other car that you've been driving, equally British. A little bit different. Hmm. Aye. A little bit bigger. Yeah, so the Mini weighs, what, 600 kilograms. And this other car weighs, what, 2.6 tonnes? Something like that. 2.2 tonnes plus. We're all familiar with the British car manufacturer Bentley. I have heard of them. And its coach building division, Mulliner. Uh, that does all the special stuff. The most recent car that Mulliner has created is the Bateur, a sort of follow-up to the Bacalar from a few years ago. They'll only build 18 of them. It's a glimpse as to what the future of Bentley design will look like, which is why it looks so very different from the rest of the lineup. It's a sort of last hurrah for the W12. It's a so long, thanks for all the fish. Hasn't this been lovely? It's got 740 horsepower, 738 pound-feet, which is quite a lot of power. Wow. It is very big. You can't get away from the fact that under its skin is a Continental GT. So that's what it's based on. It's not a bad starting point, though, is it? Nothing wrong with that. Come on. Yeah, come on. Well, no, it's not a bad starting point, but then I have to tell you the price. Go on. It's 1.6 million. I'll have three, please. Could you have them delivered? (laughs) 1.6 1.6 million. Wow. But there are only, what, 18 of them, did you say? There are only 18. Each one is being custom built for the clients who have put their money down. They're all sold before they were launched, you know, before it was even shown to the world, all gone. So Bentley has two prototypes. They've got a blue one and a purple one. And God bless them, they sent me the purple one. And it is the single most purple thing in the world. More purple than a purple quality street. That's very purple. It was really quite violently purple. And it's really quick. <laughs> it's really, really fast. <laughs> I saw what you'd posted about it, Alex, and I thought my feeling about the Batel for me was if they're going to make things like that, I can forgive them making things like the Bentayga. Yes. Because, you know, I'm OK. You know, I hate the fact that Bentley make these obscenely expensive, ridiculous, goppingly fast SUVs. Yeah. But if that enables them to make some absurd, ridiculous, goppingly fast <laughs> coupes like that, great. How about it? They sell really rather well. It's got a few like interesting bits to it. So the body is carbon or it's uh, composites. Some of the composites on there are made of flax. Oh, yes, good. They're looking to add 1% sustainability to the 99% absurd. They're looking to be more sustainable. The leather is apparently harvested in a sustainable fashion. hurtling with maximum speed towards Armageddon use of the Earth's resources. Yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry if that's a little cynical. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, no, 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 it, it's entirely fine because it's a £1.6 million car and they're going, it's got flax, but that composite can be used then wider. So you're not using resource-making carbon fibre. You can have a... Uh, uh, sustainable... Uh, Recyclable. Uh, uh, replenishable resource. Well, not necessarily... Well, Sustainable. Yeah, sustainable is the right word. So, yeah, Yeah. you you have this sustainable thing that you can then stick to cars and you can go, well, it's like carbon fibre, but it's not. So it's some of the bits of the butter is flax. Mm. They did say the leather is sustainable, but, you know, you grow cows every day. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very nice. It's got a few neat touches. So, like, the drive select wheel is gold. The valves for the heat events also gold. They'll do the interior to your standard. It's just the most bizarre thing. I mean, it feels like a massive car. It's handsome. It's a pretty thing. Mm. It feels big. doesn't feel like this super lithe, nimble sports car. For me, it's got a bit of the Aston DBX about it. I mean, it's not quite as top-heavy or as soggy as a DBX 707, but Mm -hmm. what I had in that is you go around a corner, you press the go pedal, you are at the next corner, 
before you've even gone, oh, there's another corner. I should lift off. And then you're back on the anchors. You can find its flow and you can kind of roll with it and you can play with it. But a caterham, it is not. But it is a GT. Yes, it is a GT. So there's no rear seats in it. Oh, really? Um, so they've removed the rear seats and put a shelf there. And the Bentley does you custom luggage for that if you want it. And the boot's still quite big. It's quite capacious. What I'm hearing here, Alex, is that this is a very, very practical vehicle. It's, yeah, it's a very, very practical vehicle that can be used to move small household objects from one mansion to another. (laughs) Terrific. At great, great speed. This is what I need. A lot of people have issue with the fact that it's very obviously based on a Conti GT, but they have to remember that they are not the target audience for this car. Yeah. Mm. Like the likes of you and I, you know, for us, a Continental GT is enough. If we can get ourselves into one of those, we've made it. Yeah. For the Mulliner crowd, for the people that want these vehicles, the people that have bought the Blowers, the Speed 6s, the Bacalar, this is the next one to add to the collection. It's the one that marks you out as more special than the rest. Mm-hmm. There will only mm-hmm. be 18 of these, and you must be one of those 18. For those people, this car is cheap at twice the price. Mm. For us, it's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So... If you were going to make a choice, I'll ask Zog first. Zog, if you had to choose between the David Brown, what's it called? E-engineered, E-imagined? It's the David Brown Automotive Mini E-mastered. E-mastered, not E-imagined. E-mastered. If you had to make a choice, Zog, between the little electric Mini or the Batour from Bentley. Yep. It's a Molina, really, isn't it? Which would you choose? And I think I know what you're going to say. Well, I'm going to give a slightly equivocal answer here because... Okay, here's my answer. If this is an actual genuine offer, if you are actually going to give me, if I can actually have either one of these and go with... I'm obviously going to take the Bentley because, first of all, I will have an absolute blast in it and then I'll be able to sell it at some point and buy another ridiculously fun vehicle... And a mansion. But a bit slightly more in the spirit of your question, I think. If we're taking the value off the table, if we're taking the fact that, yeah, you could resell one of these things and, you know, transform your life, I'm going with the Mini. That's exactly the kind of little city car that I want living in West London with very little day-to-day need to do long trips. Yeah, that would suit me down to the ground. Zog, you've been saying this, I think, at least... 15 years i remember very early on 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 speed yeah no we did yeah right yeah we were talking about electric cars and how the mini and the fiat 500 would be your starting point for an electric city car i'm not surprised to hear you say that (laughs) alex which one would you choose uh i would have the bentley simply because it's so hilarious (laughs) that's a good answer yeah it's so hilarious and in purple it's incredibly vulgar and that would make my mother very happy (laughs) vulgarity nothing wrong with a bit of vulgarity now and again for me do you know what i really admire the execution of the e-mastered mini i was genuinely impressed with the interior and the solidity of the whole thing and the idea of an electric mini is a really good one but i have my doubts about david brown because that db5 thing that they did based on the jaguar Mm. i just thought it was a bit embarrassing and i think that devalues david brown as a brand whereas this mini yeah bingo lovely i love that so for me no buts it's got to be bator <laughs> as they say <laughs> in the Logan. adverts i think that bator is magnificent that engine let's wave a farewell as we wave goodbye to our listeners yeah, let's to wave, wave a farewell to the, w12. <laughs> to the w12 yeah yeah that's a hell of an engine oh it's gone <laughs>
it's gone. It's gone. gone. Yeah. What is it? Eighty percent of a Bugatti, isn't it? I think. Like I mean, well, now it's just under half a Bugatti because a Chiron's sixteen hundred horsepower, but a Veyron. This is the maddening thing about it. If you remember, in what the early noughties, they would say it's going to be a thousand horsepower, and so much engineering went into it, and all the headaches that they went through. Mm-hmm. There's a book on it called Bugatti Veyron, the Celebrity, or something like that. And if you're into it, I urge you to read the book because it's fascinating. And they had all these headaches mm. to make a thousand and one reliable horsepower out of a W16 engine mm. with four turbos on it. And now, admittedly, same size engine, but four fewer cylinders and two fewer turbos is getting almost that thousand horsepower. Gosh, ah, impressive, impressive. That's progress for hey, you. Hey, Alex, I'm jealous. I would love to have driven either of those two cars. I hate you for having driven them. Sorry. I don't hate you. I love you like a friend. Say goodbye, Alex. Bye. Say goodbye, Zog. Goodbye. And I'll say goodbye and see you for the next on Speed, where we'll be discussing, amongst other things, the glory of the 2024 Formula One season. Say bye. Bye-bye-bye. Bye. For information on how to contact the show, see pictures, get song lyrics, follow us on Twitter, find our Facebook fan page, or to sponsor the show, go to GarethJones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! <laughs>